Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as He is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. So when I think of polemics, I think of being all things to all people, specifically when it comes to Islam. And I learned that right away on the street. If I was like, you know, very soft and gentle spoken a lot of times, I got no respect from them. It wasn't until, and I enjoy it, I was, I have a wrestling background and, uh, you know, can be pretty fire, especially before I was saved, but I'm like, I enjoy probably sharing with Muslims more than any other group. Even I'm an ex-atheist, I still... Why? Why do you like Muslims so much? Because they'll fire back at me. Oh, so you like the passion there, <laughs> I right? I do. I love Aren't it. They, isn't that infectious? It is. I love it. Wouldn't it be great if a Christian would be as passionate as they are? I totally agree. It's a big problem. Well, you seem to be. Oh, I, I definitely am. And that's why I've been trying to get my young guys involved, you know, to be able to, to share these truths. And I'm like, it's so funny because I saw the video you put out immediately uh, when it came to Muhammad Ajab and Yasser Qadi. And before I could even bring it up at the next Bible study, uh, Nico sent me a thing. Did you see the video about Yasser Qadi? You see what happened in the holes of the narrative? And we're talking about it. And then I get to go to record at work. And next thing you know, Tony over here is like, hey, did you see that video that, that Jay Smith did on Yasser Qadi and Muhammad Ajab? And so I was like, yeah. And then when this came up, I was like, I want to talk to Jay about that if I can. I want him to explain it because I think... Well, before I explain, be I want you to explain it. What did you see in that video? What happened in that interview, the last 25 minutes? Yeah. As somebody... Now, you're not an Islamicist. No. You've not known anything. You've never heard about the Qira'at before. Right. Ahruf, these are foreign words for you. You don't read Arabic. So this is absolutely new to you. But yeah. you saw something in that video that really sparked. What was it? I want them to... I like to hear what you cut, pulled out of that video. Okay, so for... That interview, the last 25 the, minutes. The last 25 minutes of that video, what I saw from there, to me, was a a very like a kind of like a puppy when it came to Muhammad Ijab that you know I've or never a young heard Muhammad student Ijab referred to as a puppy I know he's a big before. guy but I hope he's listening this would be great <laughs> did you hear that <laughs> which, which, which camera am I looking at this one here I hope you heard that Muhammad Ijab he thought you were a puppy now why did you think he was a puppy because it felt like he was he was scared because of what happened in 2016 though when when Hatun came out and showed the differences from Nor northern africa with the qurans and you see them and he's like don't listen to them let's keep it quiet and he then pulled I, them away he pulled them away so I he's the authority if you're pulling them away saying, yep. i can give you the answer amen and what did he say don't look at what they're showing you and don't listen to what they're saying come to me come to me which means he should have had an answer then right amen that's obviously he didn't have an answer did he that's exactly what i thought happened and he thought well at least at the very least There'll be, I'll have Yasser Qadi. You okay, know, so four installer. years later, it's, uh, this has been festering for four Amen. years. He went through a crisis, crisis of, faith. of faith. You notice the word that he used was crisis of faith to Yasser Qadi. Yes. Who had the crisis of faith here? Oh, I think Muhammad Ijab did. There you go. Well, I think also Yasser Qadi did as well. Okay, <laughs> we'll but, come to that. So but, here, four years later, he comes to this interview. He, it's, his, it's, it's his show, right? Yeah, it's his show. And he asked him, and after, did you look at the whole hundred, uh, hour and 45 minutes? No, I only watched the portion I really wanted to care about. Okay, and that <laughs> happens right at an hour and 16 minutes. Yeah. So forget about the first hour and 16 minutes. Anybody that's watching, you can't get it anyways because they've now deleted it. Yeah. But that when he asked this question, what was the first question Muhammad Hijab asked? Oh, the first question. What was the first question? I don't even remember what he asked. I have a blank piece of paper. Oh, I have a blank what piece of paper. What about the Qira'ah? Yeah. Okay, 
now not knowing anything about the Kerao, yeah, what do you think he was asking there? I think what he was trying to get, to basically get from him is what on earth is basically their canon. In my idea, he's trying to figure out what on earth is their standard and not just what on earth, he knows what he thinks it is, but how do we know and the narrative that we have How do we prove it? No, no. Really, okay. This is the problem. And this is why I hope you're all listening. And Perfect. I hope Muhammad Hijab, listen, if I'm getting it wrong, then, then jump on me. Remember, it's the Quran that makes the claim that it's eternal. Yeah. Chapter 85, verse 22. It's the Quran that says that it has never changed. Chapter 10, verse 15. Chapter 18, verse 27. The Quran makes this claim. Yeah. There is no change in God's holy word. Not one word, not one letter can change. It's the Quran that says that God will guard it from being changed in chapter 15, verse 9. So this is internal to the Quran. This is not something Muhammad Hijab made up or Yasser Qadi made up. This is not something Muslims have made up over the last few centuries. This is internal to the Quran itself, which means this, that this Quran is, if it's eternal, that means it's unfettered by human hands. They have put it up such a high pedestal. Remember, the higher you put it up, the further it can fall. That's a fact. Would you say that about the Bible? Uh, that it was eternal in that nature? No, not in that way. No. Sent down to a man? No. Complete? No. Yes. Well, yeah, complete now, yeah. <laughs> it was complete when it was written. Yeah, amen. Changed? Yes, it has been changed. We know exactly where the Bible's been changed. We warn the readers. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Chapter 15 of, of Mark, verse... Uh, yeah, sorry, chapter 16, verse... Uh, what is yeah. it? Chapter 16, verse yeah, 9 to 20. Honeyum as well, yeah, for John 5. John uh-huh. chapter 7, verse 53 to John 8, 11, the woman caught in adultery. Woman so we put a line there and we put a line below and, and we say, we warn the reader that these verses are not found in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Yeah. So we're transparent about that. So why do we keep them in there if they've been changed? If, or if they possibly they could be changed? Yeah, because we care about truth. Okay, but we also realize that there's nothing in any of those verses that's not found in others. That's not found in other exactly. doc- scripture. There's no new doctrine. All right, now let's get back to Muhammad Hijab. Yeah. If this is the case, we held up 26 different Qurans, not one, not two, 26. Exactly. That was a paradigm shift for him. He may have been had an inkling of this. I had an inkling of this when Mahatun brought down uh, six of them back from Morocco. I had no idea that these were available today. She completely floored me because I'd heard about them. I knew about yeah. the Kirat and the Ahruf. If you could study anything in Islamic history, you know that this exists, but you never thought that they still existed in the 21st century, and especially not today. I thought they'd all been taken out into a boat and thrown into the Nile, dumped in the Nile in 1924. Little dis- stupid how much that statement makes right now. How can you get rid of all the Qurans in the world by dumping them in a boat, off a boat in the Nile in a place called Cairo? Yeah, it didn't work so well. It didn't work so well, obviously. <laughs> so here she comes and she says, let's hold these up. Now, here's, this is something that that I had to learn because I remember even when we were going to go down to Speaker's Corner to hold them up, I kind of said, you know, Hatun, this is not really that big an event. It's not really that important. Dan Brubaker's material is much more important because that is the Razum. That is the Continental Text. That is the manuscript evidence. That's the original, manu- well, no original, obviously, but those are the earliest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Those are much more damaging And she kind of looked at me and says, Jay, you still don't get it, do you? You stupid idiot American. <laughs> You're so academic, you don't get it, do you? Take off your academic hat and become a Muslim like me, like I was. Every Muslim is told three things about the Quran. It's eternal, it's never changed, and God protects it. 
those three things. And every Muslim knows not one word, not one letter. Now remember, Yasser Qadi has been saying this for years. Shabir Ali has been saying this for years. They have always said it. Every Muslim you meet says this, except if they're liberal. But I'm talking about 99.9% .9 of all Muslims. Always agree with those three things. And if you are taught this from your yehi to a grasshopper, you assume that this is what makes the Quran special. This is why the first question they ask is, how come you can't come up with your originals? Yeah. The question that was asked tonight, what about your authors? You don't even have the originals, <laughs> and your authors are all so late. <laughs> they laugh at us yeah. because they know that they can absolutely be assured that the Quran is eternal. If it's eternal, that means it cannot have any human intervention whatsoever, not one word, not one letter. So here was Muhammad Hijab. He saw 26 of them, and he's sitting there to Yasser Qadi, and he says, I've got a dilemma here. This is just a little bit of a problem he started out with. Uh, let's talk about it. What about these kira'ah? As soon as he said kira'ah, what did Yasser Qadi do next? He didn't want to talk about it. That's right. What did he say? <laughs> he said, I, I don't want to talk about this. I don't, don't want to talk, talk about this. Talk about not this. on camera. <laughs> yeah, not we on camera. We don't talk about this in public. I started going like this when I saw this. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is fun. Because here you have an academic, and you saw two different worlds there. Yeah. You saw the Eastern versus the West. Yeah. Yasser Qadi, the West, America, Houston. American accent, brought up in American schools, went to Yale University, PhD, one of the best schools in the world on the Quran back 25 years ago. So you would think, and that's why Muhammad came to him. He wanted to come to him because this is the authority he was looking for. As you said, he realized that he didn't, for four years he couldn't answer yeah. all his Taliban. Now remember, Muhammad Hijab has a following, I think it's about 370,000 on his uh, subscribers on his YouTube yeah. channel. That's up there. That's, that's up huge. There. Not yeah. as big as David, yeah. but it's still huge. Yeah. And for Muslims, he is one of the top when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, internet yeah. spokesmen. Spokesmen. Yasser Qadi has about the same number on his YouTube channel, but his is much more academic. Yeah. Completely two different worlds: the East, Muhammad Hijab, and I would suggest that Muhammad Hijab represents ninety nine point ninety nine percent of the Muslim world today. Yeah. Yasser Qadi only represents one percent of the Muslim world. He is the academic realm of Islam. He is the Western era of Islam. He is the he is the kind of Muslim you like to take home to tea. Yeah, yeah. I we like Yasser Qadi. I mean, you guys liked him, didn't you? Did yeah. you like that interview? Oh yeah. I yeah. love that interview. Yeah, I said this guy is actually being honest. He's talking like us, but his reaction was priceless. Yeah. Because he didn't just stop there. What else did he say next? Well, yeah, he said, let, let, I don't want to talk about this. And, and what I thought is that he painted the picture of like these three different groups of people. Okay. And the, the bottom group is like... Wait, wait, what was okay, the top yes. group? Well, the top group with academia. No, no, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. You, I see what you mean. Let's, yeah. uh, the bottom group. The bottom group were almost... I, I thought he was trying to say like new converts. Yeah, these are the so new converts. So the new converts, we don't even bring this up. We don't even bring it up. We okay. don't even bring it up with them. Then you have this... Now stop and think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would we do that with converts? No. Do we tell them everything? If we try. In fact, it's the new, <laughs> it's the new converts that usually have the best questions, don't oh, they? Oh, 100%. Because they guys. bring all their baggage with them. <laughs> yeah, amen. They are the first to ask these questions. Amen. It's usually the long-term uh, Christians and the academics who don't ask any questions. Yeah. It's always the new converts that are the best. That's why I love working amongst them, because they have enormous amount of questions. Why? Because they're being asked these questions by their own family and their own friends. Amen. That's why we have to deal with new converts. But here he says we don't tell them anything. Don't tell him nothing. Okay, then what's the next step? And category? then the next group, I, I, he's basically saying, like, once you get to a certain place, you just don't, you stop asking questions. No, we have a reverence. Yeah, we have a reverence. We tell yeah, him, that's right. We have a reverence. He's talking about the red line. Yeah, the red line. Wasn't that great? We have a red line that we don't go beyond. We yes. have a reverence for the Quran. 
I love that reverence for the Quran. So we have a respect for the Quran. We don't ask these questions. See, that's you in the East, but I live in the West. I went to Yale University and in Yale University, there are no red lines. You can ask any question you want at Yale University. Now, why is that? Now, can you see, help unpack this. What's going on in the West that's not going on in the East? When I say East, Islam versus, say, Christianity, because the West is Judeo-Christian. So it reflects everything that we love about the West and why so many people love coming this direction, because there's something different. He was showing, he was saying there's something different. Yasser Qadi was admitting there is something different here in the West that they don't have any red lines. Why do you, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think in academia here, you actually have to look at the material. You actually have to care about looking at truth where there, there's... And where do you think that comes from? Where does that come from? Well, Judeo-Christian background, Veritas, yeah, amen. Did Jesus ever say you can't ask any question of me? (laughs) No, he didn't. Did Paul ever say that you can't ask any question of me? Did he take on all comers in the Oropagus there in Mars Hill? Remember when he was in Ephesus in chapter 19 of Acts? He was there in the synagogue and they wouldn't listen to him. So finally he took the dust, uh, he took the dust off his shoes and where did he go? He went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which is a debating chamber a secular debating chamber. And it says he was there for two years. And after two years in Acts 90, the whole world had heard the gospel. That's my Paul. Amen. Amen. That's love, the beauty of it. That's where it all originated, this idea of the whole, of, this, uh, of, of respect. You can only respect something that's passed all the tests. Where do you think literary criticism has come from? Where, not, it wasn't invented on the Bible, but it's the Bible that matured it, is it not? It's the Bible where you get redacted criticism has been leveled. It's the Bible that has passed the test of source criticism, of textual criticism. That's right. Yeah. Textual criticism. And here he goes, this Yasser Qadi goes to Yale University, and he comes across textual criticism for the first time. So Muhammad Hadjab asks him, so you had a crisis of faith? How did he answer that? He said, no, no, it wasn't a crisis of faith. It was a crisis of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you said you think he had a crisis of faith. Wait, define knowledge, crisis of knowledge versus crisis of faith. Well, I think the difference is that which you are holding on because it's true, which would be his knowledge. He was finding out that there were holes in the narrative, so that was true. Where in his idea, wait, wait, faith is blind. you said holes blind. in his narrative. That's a pretty big statement yeah, right there. Yeah, I haven't there. got to that part yet. <laughs> wait, hold, off, hold that to yes, side. Yes, he yes, didn't yes, say yes. it at that time. No, he did not say it at that time. So what was he said? What did he say? was the crisis of knowledge. Yeah, I think it was the, the transmission, how it was transmitted. This very, yeah. question. this very question. Yeah. This very question was the crisis of knowledge. Yeah. He didn't have an answer for it. So how did he respond to it? Remember what he did almost the next second? He just started, well, I just heard him continuing to spout at random. Not random. Well, yeah, not random. This is what but I call he's affirming the Islamic dance. Faith. Yeah, he's, this is the mantra they all yeah, say. There it is. Yeah. I am absolutely I am absolutely sure of the preservation of the Quran. I am absolutely sure that there is not one dot, one not, one word, or I'm absolutely sure that it has been guarded. He went through this whole litany of things that he was sure of, which he says every time whenever this question comes up. And he's been saying it for 25 years. Yeah. Because he has to believe it. And this is the dance that you hear. This is the dance that I've heard for years. Whenever you get to a a question that you can't answer, you just go into this mantra, as we say in India. This mantra, this memorized mantra. You don't ever question it. And here was the difficulty that he was having, because then what did Muhammad Hijab do next? He put his hand out. And he said, what did he say about this hand? The blank paper. The blank piece of paper. What are you going to write on there? Which one is it? Is this Kaloon? Is this Hafs? Is this Warsh? Is this Kasai? He could have asked all that number of 30. And his, initially, what, did, what was his reaction? This is where he reacted. Don't ask me this question. Please don't ask me this question. 
dash me after the interview. Become my student. We'll do a deep dive. That's the third level that you're talking about. The third level then, when you become my student and you pay me the money, I'll do a deep dive and I'll tell you what I'm just telling you right now. Because yeah. what was the deep dive that he finally concluded on? Because he did do the he did answer the question at the very end, at the very end of the interview, after this had all gone by, Muhammad Hijab said, this should be easy. It should be a simple yes or no. And then finally he said it a second time. I'm going to put that piece of paper, that musaf, he called it a musaf, which means book. Okay. It means a codex. I'm going to say, this is a blank codex. What are you going to write? Which is it? In other words, what he was saying is, which is the one that's in heaven? Which is the one that was revealed to Muhammad? Which is the one that was canonized and put together by Uthman? Which is the one that has no difference, no dots, no, oh, not dots, no letter, no word difference? Which is the one? And finally, you could see he, Yasser Qadi was exasperated. He says, okay, okay, I give up. They're all the Quran. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, talk about, and remember about halfway through the interview, he did say, you know, you in the East, you have holes in your narrative. We in the West, they've come leap years beyond in the last hundred years. And you have holes in your narrative. There are holes in the narrative. And he says, they're looking at us like an emperor with no clothes. And you know, I couldn't have read it. I couldn't have be written it better if I had written the script for him. What an admission of guilt right there. Yeah. But when he said, they are all the Quran, I just started clapping. And I just started laughing. And I just said, you have no idea what you have just admitted. Because Yasser Qadi does not know what we know. He does not know that just with 23 of these 30 Qurans, we have found 93,000 differences. 93,000. Now, folks, can you see why that destroys any notion that this could be eternal? That destroys any notion that this could have been sent to a man named Muhammad over a 22 period. That destroys any notion that this could have been canonized and written down in, a, in its final form at the time of Uthman in 652. This destroys all of that. Proving that this is man-made as you can get. But talk about man-made. I love the fact that the earliest one of these kidnaps doesn't even appear until 736. Then 738, then 742, then 770, then 780, then up to, up to 812. So, including the 8th and 9th century, those were all chosen in the 10th century by Ibn Mujahid in 936. That's just the first seven. And so whenever I, in talking to Muhammad or any of these Muslims that are listening, whenever I ask you, Muslim, where are these seven that Muhammad, was re that Muhammad received, you always start listing off these seven that are in the Qirat, without realizing those seven never existed in the 7th century. Mm -hmm. These are 8th and 9th century writers. <laughs> Talk about where the author is. Now, let's get to textual criticism. Here it is, and here's what really, and this is where Shadi, Dr. Shadi Nasser is really blowing out of the water. And if you all have a chance, go get Shadi Nasser's book. It just came out two weeks ago. It's uh, published by Brill, uh, Brill Prep, Brill, B-R-I-L-L -L Press, and it's called The Second Canonization of the Quran. And he's looking at five canonizations of the Quran. Are you familiar with these five canonizations? No. Is this all new to you? This is new to me. Okay, yeah. let me just go through them real quickly. There are five yeah. canons of the Quran. Remember, Muslims have always said the Quran is eternal, that it's not, yeah. that there, it is all, that which Uthman wrote is exactly the same as we have today. Shadi Nasser is blowing this out by looking and showing that these, that these Qurans have been redone and redone and redone and redone five times. And the first one is with Uthman. Okay. Interestingly, he's not writing a book on the first one. Why do you think he's not writing a book on the first one? The Uthman one? There is There's nothing no to look at. There's nothing. There's nothing there from Uthman. <laughs> There's nothing to write about. That's the beauty of it. You can't write a book about thin air any more than David Wood could have <laughs> answered my questions from last night. 
He didn't have one response to all that material that I put out there. Uh, no. All he could talk about, it's embarrassing, I it's know, embarrassing. you convinced some of my guys, uh, some of my guys last night. What a hopeless argument, the argument of embarrassment. <laughs> Nonetheless, can you see, there's nothing there. If there's nothing yeah, there from good. the 7th century, how can you write a book about it? That's true, you can't. It's nothing more than what we call attribution. Everything they're looking at is attribution. Since there's nothing from the time of Uthman 652, you can see why that canonization goes out the window. But he can talk about the second one. And that's the book he just published two weeks ago. 600 pages. Oh, bless his heart. Harvard wow. University, one of the top scholars of the day. And he is destroying the Quran. So this is what he's done. The second canon took place with Ibn Mujahid. Ibn Mujahid's date is 936. So do your maths. Muhammad died in 632. The Quran was canonized the first time in 652. Then you get a second canon in six, uh, 936. How many years? 300 years. 300 years. Okay, so 300 years, this guy chooses seven. And this is the seven. Navi, let me just get it out. I think I've got it here. Should be here somewhere. As we're doing it, let me just talk this through. So as we go through this, you can see what I'm talking about. So he comes up with these different Gida'at. And what he's looking at, he's looking at, and I, that's not the right one, this is not the right one. I've got, I'm going to get them all here. I've got all these on slides that I can give to you guys. I was going to say, we can do it and post edit too. We can throw you it can post it up there, and yeah. if, I don't know whose this is going on to, or if people can come to your website, you can get it off from there. But it's, I thought I had it here, I don't have it here. There we go. If you hold on to this. Hold that up to the camera so they can see it. And then I want to show you this. So these are the two. So I'm going to put this up. Those are, the, look at the green ones here. So those are the seven that we're talking about. Those seven, and let me just leave, that's Nafi, that's Ibn, Ibn Kathir, that's Ibn Amir, that's Abu Iman, that's Asim, Hamza, and Kasai. Seven, did you count seven? They're in the green there. So those were canonized in 936. 300 years they took to get those seven. Look at the first one that was written, that's Ibn Amir. And Ibn Amir, his date is 736. Muhammad died in 632. So you know good and well that these were not written while Muhammad was still alive. You know good and well this has nothing to do with Muhammad. Are you reading? Are you, can, you, can you catch that? Yeah. Because they only begin 736 and they go all the way up until 805. I said 812, I, I was wrong. 805, so 9th century. So this is 8th and 9th century, 100 years later. And what's fascinating, every time you ask a Muslim, what were the seven that Muhammad received from Jibril? Jibril the angel, Gabriel, what were the seven? They always referred to these seven. Okay. Without even thinking through, you can't do that because these seven didn't exist. What's more, stop and ask yourself, if Muhammad only lived in Mecca and Medina, what are these other, what are these seven dialects? Where do they come from? Take a look <laughs> and read them. You can see them right there. Yeah. These two, Mecca and Medina, then you have Basra, oh, Damascus, Kufa, Kufa, Kufa. Kufa, Kufa, Kufa beats Iraq. Yeah. Damascus is Syria, Syria. Basra is Iraq again. So these are all from Iraq and Syria. Did he ever go to Iraq and Syria? Did he ever learn any dialects from those, those countries? Absolutely not. Of course not. He only knew one dialect, the Qureshi dialect, right? Right. So those don't make any sense. Of the seven, five of them are not even from where he lived. So how did he receive these other five? People haven't thought this through. And this is why I'm saying, this is, I'm so glad I don't have to defend this. Yeah. But that's not the only thing, because you notice what's missing in those seven. This one's missing. <laughs> this one's missing. That's interesting. This is the huffs that everybody used today. This is the international canon. This is the final canon. This is the fifth canon. This is the one that was chosen by Muhammad Ibn al-Husayni al-Haddad there in 1924. This is the one that everybody uses. It was made official by King Fahd in 1985, just 35 years ago. How old are you? 32. 
Oh, sorry, you weren't alive. I was. <laughs> Am I the only one that's over 35 here? Tony. Well, we were both older than the Quran. We are both older than the Quran. Doesn't that make you feel old? This should be in that list, right? Supposedly. It's not in that it's list. Another three were added here. These three. And that's Abu Jafar and Yaqub and Khalaf. There you have Medina, Basra, and Kufa again. So now we have ten. And these are the ten that Yasser Qadi has always talked about. These are the one that Shabir Ali talks about. This is the creme de la creme. This is the best of the best. They always talk about these ten. These are the holy ten. Is the Huffs there? I haven't said Huffs yet, have I? No. He's right here, circled in black. 796. 796, he dies. But when was he chosen? Look at the black know. name right chosen here. Chosen 11, 1194. 1194. Wow. That is the 12th century. Muhammad died in 632. How many years? 600 years 600 later. 600 years. Almost 600 years later. Those... This, these 14 were chosen. So 14 plus 7 equals 21 plus 3, 24. Then you get six more readers, and that's where you get the 30. Who chose these guys down here? His name is Al-Jaziri. Al-Jaziri chose these in 1429. 1429? 1429. That is the 15th century. That's 800 years later. It took them 1,800 years to get those 30. And they're talking about our... Four Gospels, they're yeah. talking about our authorship. Now, let's get to textual criticism. Yeah. Here we go. How did they choose those 30? By the way, this is from Wikipedia. Oh, really? I did the colors. I put them in yeah, colors. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah, can get this on Wikipedia. This is not hidden. This has been around. This information that I'm telling you right now has been around for a thousand years. This is not new. But we have not taught people this. We're not teaching people this. Yeah, and this is the good. problem. Every one of you need to know what I've just showed you. Yeah, amen. But much here, it really, here's where the rubber hits the road. Now, when you get a new Bible comes into existence, let's say a new manuscript, or let's just say when the Sinaitic, or let's just say any new manuscript yeah. that's considered article, what's the first thing you do whenever you see a new manuscript? Well, we try to see who, where it's from, author, time, what it's written on. How do you know that? How do you do that? Well, you do that through textual criticism. You How know. do you do that? How do you do that? You check what kind of papyri it's written on. So you open the book first? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, you said of course. Yeah, yeah. That should be a given, right? Yeah, yeah. You read the words, right? Of course. See, you, to you, it's, it's like a given. You didn't even think about what I was asking you. Yeah, of course not, yeah. Were any of these, were, did they do that with any of these books? <laughs> I haven't, I'm guessing not. Not one. Not one. They didn't open it. Not one of these books did they open to read it. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, this is a surprise to you, right? Yeah, of course it's a surprise. Guess how they chose those 30? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the artwork on the outside, I have no idea how they could choose these. <laughs> Every one of those was chosen by popularity. By popularity. It had nothing to do with what was written inside any one of those books. They didn't even crack one page. They didn't look at one word. They didn't look at one letter. The first thing you should do with textual criticism is open Red. the book. What's it? What's written? Writ and look and see what kind of text it is. Look and see what script it is. Try to look at what the page is. Try to do some forensic testing. Look yeah. at the date on it, right? Yeah. Look for some type of decorations to look at the data. Look at the type of script that is used to see whether, because scripts do change. And you can date the scripts by how they change. They didn't do one dot of that. All they wanted to see is how many students they had. Whoever had the most students, they chose. Wow. It was a popularity contest. Every one of those. Each 30, one of these gets to be prom king. Except for one of them. <laughs> except for one. One of them was not chosen because of the number of students he had. 
And that's, I think I have it here. That's this one. I didn't know we were going to talk about this, otherwise I'd have this one ready for you. Oh, no, this is great. That's this one right here. Wash. Wash. So these two right here, this is called Wash and this is called Huffs. As you say, Huffs is 796. Okay. Wash is 812. Now this guy is from Nafi, so he's right up here. There's Wash right there. He comes from the school of Nafi school, right? So if he comes from Nafi school, you'd think he'd be the same as Nafi, right? No. They didn't even open up to see what it was saying. They had no idea what Warsh was saying. They had no idea if it's the same as Nafi. But hold on a minute. There were two other guys that came from that school. These two right here. Ismail ibn Jafar and Al-Musa Yabi. Those two guys had all kinds of students. They were way ahead of Warsh. So why did they choose Warsh? Because he comes from Cairo. They had nobody that came from Cairo. All these other guys came from Medina. They needed somebody from Cairo, so they chose Warsh. <laughs> so he had nothing to do with textual criticism. Wow. Nothing to do with textual criticism. It had to either to do with popularity or geography. Where you lived and how many students you had. Can you imagine how us choosing Bibles that way? No. Man. Can you imagine us choosing manuscripts and seeing what's authentic by how many people copied it? Yeah, or be, how many people decided to memorize it? Yeah, it'd be the Valentinian school and Marcian school and see which one was the was bigger. Which was the bigger? <laughs> which was <laughs> the most popular? You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.